Today's reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children and we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Thank you, Sam. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's always a privilege to come and hear your voice and we ask that your spirit would take your words and help us to receive them, to understand them, to believe them, but also to deeply believe them. We pray that your spirit would write write them as truths in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I want to begin by asking this question. Um, What's the greatest privilege of having the Spirit? Now, you might be sitting there thinking, I don't have the Spirit, I'm not a Christian. Change it. Change the question. If you were to become a Christian, what would be the greatest privilege for you of doing so? But if you are a Christian, what's the greatest privilege of having the Spirit? Is it what you've been set free from? You know, the law of sin and death always trying to live up to a standard, falling short and feeling condemned? Is it what you've been saved from? Or is it what you've been saved to? To be enter the realm of the Spirit, to be governed by Him so that your own heart longs for what God wants and your consciences are now set free. Is it what you've come to? Or is it the power of the Spirit, that is, Um, having the Spirit help you, God's Spirit help you, as you engage in the battle with sin? Is it the power of the Spirit or is it the presence of the Spirit, the comfort that you receive by knowing, even though I'm a sinner, I engage in in the struggle with sin and temptation, the Spirit is there with me through ups and downs, through whatever may happen. What is the greatest privilege of having the Spirit? God teaches us in Romans chapter 8 is that the greatest privilege of having the Spirit is to be adopted. It's adoption. It's to become a child of God. Now, that word can get bad press because uh, we think, hang on, if you're adopted, that means you're, you've always got questions about whether you're legitimate or not you're within a family. However, think of the alternative. Ray Galea, when he wrote a book about Romans chapter 8, he gives two examples. One was of a woman he knew whose mother, biological mother, gave her up for adoption in the 1950s. And in the 1980s, um, this woman met her biological mother for the first time. And she said to her, thank you so much that you gave me up for adoption because you didn't abort me. When the alternative is death, adoption is wonderful. Now, if that's pressing buttons for you because you've lived through an abortion... You need to know it's not the unforgivable sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we do have to say it's a tragic loss of human life. But when the, for the, the person, when the alternative is death, adoption is a wonderful life-giving thing. The second il- illustration uh, Ray gave was of an Ethiopian teenager who attended one of his talks, came to believe in Jesus. And 
she was adopted by an Australian family and her adoptive parents took her to Ethiopia to visit her birth parents and took her to the village. And when she saw the, well, the suffering and the squalor, the misery, really, that her biological family were in, she was so thankful that she was given for adoption because she didn't experience that. Now, it's a great privilege to be adopted when the alternative is is death or misery. Maybe you're thinking, hang on, but what about the reality of being adopted? Maybe you're adopted and you're thinking that's presses buttons because you think I've lived in this family, but I've always felt like I'm not on the same status level as those who are biological children of my adoptive parents. Um, I feel like I'm illegitimate. Well, you've actually uh, put your finger on the, the pulse because Within God's family, uh, we are illegitimate children. (laughs) None of us are naturally born to be one of God's children. This is why uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 had this conversation with Jesus. Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Uh, uh, In fact, no one can even see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, to be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus obviously asked, well, how can you be born again? You know, you can't enter a second time into your mother's womb and then come out. Um, If you've got to be born again to enter the kingdom of God, how does that happen? Jesus said you must be born of the Spirit. How does that happen? Jesus, in John 3, said it happens when you believe in the Son. That's when you will not perish and have eternal life. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says the same thing. To believe in Jesus is to receive the Spirit, and the Spirit, verse 15, you receive, doesn't make you slaves. No, no, no. The Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. It's through receiving the Spirit that you're brought into adoption, into sonship. Now, sonship. Is Paul being sexist here? No. (laughs) No. Um, If you're a female... Uh, listener, then uh, Paul's not being sexist. We male believers have, uh, have to understand we are brides of Christ with you. And so therefore, you should be okay about being a son of God. What, what's meant? Well, he uses this term because in the first century it was sexist. The laws of inheritance were sexist. So um, daughters couldn't receive any inheritance in the estate, in the will. Uh, it was only sons who could inherit the estate. Paul, in verse 14, uh, the NIV trans, uh, has children of God, but actually the Greek word is sons of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Paul is make, using that term to say, if you are led by the Spirit, you are a legitimate child. What's the test of being a legitimate child within an adoptive family? The test is this. Are you written into the will? Are you there in the same capacity as the other children? If you are, you are now on a legitimate standing as a legitimate person within that uh, child within that family. And Paul is saying this is true. Down verse 17, have a look. If we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God. Isn't that wonderful? It gets better. Because it says we are co-heirs with Christ. 
Now, this blows your mind when you begin to think about it because you think, well, I don't deserve to inherit anything. <laughs> you know, not in comparison to Jesus. For starters, he was a legitimate son. God was always his father. He was always the son of God, even before he took on human flesh and entered our world. He was eternally the son. He alone really deserves to inherit everything. And in fact, he does deserve to inherit everything because, well, he's obeyed God like no one else has. He always obeyed his heavenly father. And more than that, there were times when he caused his father's heart to just overflow with such pride and delight that the father couldn't contain himself. He snapped open the trapdoor of heaven and yelled it out. This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Three times Jesus' baptism on the Mount of Transfiguration and in John chapter 12 when Jesus uh, says that he's going to go to the cross to drive out the prince of this world, Satan. The father couldn't contain himself. So full of pride and joy and delight with his son was the father that he yelled it out. So we think, therefore, it's Jesus, Jesus, God's son. He really deserves to inherit the whole thing. And here is the astounding thing, grace upon grace, uh, that when you believe in Jesus, you receive the spirit, you're adopted into God's family, and you become a co-heir with Christ. Even though we don't deserve it, we become an heir with Christ. It's just massive, massive privilege. Okay, Uh, where are we up to? Okay. Now, why does Paul talk about this, talk about adoption? He wants to underline the privilege of it. Um, That is, he's already said those who believe in Jesus are justified through faith. What does that mean? It means that you have a legally right standing before God. You enter the courtroom of God, a condemned sinner. By faith in Jesus, you become united to Jesus. His righteousness becomes yours. More than that, he's paid for your guilt so that the father legitimately, without cooking the books, he legitimately swings down the gavel and says, innocent, not guilty, righteous in my sight. To be justified is to be in a legally right standing with God through faith in Jesus. It's a wonderful gift. However, you might think that In engaging with the struggle with sin, if all I've got, uh, which is a massive thing, (laughs) is a legally right standing with God, your motivation of engaging with the the struggle with sin might be to try and prove your worthiness to God as if you're trying to earn his favour because you're afraid that he may reject you. You know, maybe you're clear, but you're not really liked. Um, He doesn't treat you with favour like a father would his son or daughter. Well, Paul has just been talking about um, engaging in the battle and the struggle with sin. And I think what he wants to do is to have us rock sure on what our ground relationship is uh, with God as we engage in the struggle. Because it does determine what our motivation is and what our fears are. You see... If our baseline position is one of slavery, are we cleared, justified, but still should be afraid because maybe we're out of the family or we fear that we're out of the family and we need to try and prove our worthiness? That would be to engage in the struggle with sin out of fear. And the answer is no. No, we are not just justified. It's more than that. We are adopted and therefore, point two, we don't cry fear, we cry 
Father. That's the difference. Verse 15, have a look. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the spirit, him, not an it, him, by him we cry, Abba, Father. We don't cry fear, we cry Father. The New Testament has a word for what it's like to be in a household but constantly living in fear. Slave, that is, to have no rights. Um, a slave in the first century was owned by the master of the house. And they lived constantly in fear of being beaten or even worse, being abused. And in some sad instances, even being killed, which the owner of the slave was entitled to do in the Roman Empire. That is not our baseline relationship with God. Our baseline position is not that of slavery, nor of the fear of punishment. Our baseline position isn't of needing to try harder to earn a favourable standing with the master of the house. Our baseline position of relationship is that of being in the family already. Now that means we don't fight sin to try and prove our worthiness to get a standing with God. By God's grace, you see, those who have the spirit, we already are in a good standing with God. And it's the Spirit's job to take for us all that Jesus won for us objectively at the cross and apply it personally to us in our lives. <clears throat> now, what Jesus won for us objectively at the cross uh, by dying as God's Son is uh, the ability to, for us to be become members of God's family. And it's the Spirit who makes it happen. It's by Him that we cry, Abba, Father. Now, do you cry that? Do you cry Abba in your prayers to God? It's not a term we normally use, is it? When we use it, it's often as um, in reference to a, a, you know, a Swedish pop group of the 1970s, Dancing Queen, Waterloo, you know, um, uh, all those ones. Okay. But in the Bible, it's a term of affection and intimacy. Uh, it's saying Papa. It's saying Dad. Or as my girls like to call me when they're being affectionate, Daddy-o. Uh, I'm looking forward to becoming a grandfather when my grandkids call me Popsicle. I think that'd be a lovely term of affection and endearment. Quite unique. I wonder why no one's picked it up yet. Anyway, at the moment, Daddy-o is about as, uh, as, as affectionate as it gets. Now, this is a supreme privilege to be able to call God Father, Dad. It's a massive privilege that only belongs to those who are God's children. There was once in our family history where one of my girls, I forget who, once called me by my first name and I stopped them in their tracks and I looked at them and said, everyone else can call me by my first name, but there are only three people alive who have the privilege of being able to call me dad. And I, and you're one of them. So I don't want you to call me by my first name. I want you to call me by this term of affection, dad. Please use it. And they have kept doing so. It's the privilege that every Christian has to be able to call God by the Spirit, Father, Dad. This is a supreme privilege. No one else has this. Muslims don't refer to God as Father. Allah is frightening. There are many names of Allah in the Quran, but not Father. And they're frightened of him. Buddhists don't know God as Father. They don't believe in a personal God at all. They just 
uh, believe in rules of karma. But again, it's a, relation, uh, a religion of fear because you're always wondering, have I done enough to improve my existence after death? In fact, even Jewish people, even though they are people of the book, they don't refer to God as Father. In the whole Old Testament, there are only two occasions in which God is referred to as Father. Once, in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, when uh, Moses is rebuking the people, and another in um, Isaiah chapter 60, when they're confessing their sins. But the Jewish people, they didn't refer to God as Father. They thought that it was presumptuous. And when Jesus started talking, you'll remember, and referring to God as his Father, it almost got him stoned because he was assuming or heard to be assuming uh, an intimacy of relationship with God that was just presumptuous and, in fact, blasphemous. And yet, by the Spirit, we can call God Father, Abba Father. It has all the security and the intimacy of someone who's in a close family relationship with him. Um, there was a, um, a book I read uh, some years back called Dare to Call Him Father. Maybe you've read it. It was by a Muslim, former Muslim lady named Bilki Sikh, and she describes quite courageously how she turned from being a Muslim uh, when she heard of Jesus and read the Bible to have faith in God, and she dared to call God Father. It's interesting that she picked up on that term to describe the massive difference between being a worshipper of God in Islam to being a Christian. Um, she describes it like this, and I'll read it for you. She said, I started calling his name, Father, my Father, Father God. Hesitantly, I spoke his name aloud. I tried different ways of speaking to him. And then, as if something broke through for me, I found myself trusting that he was indeed hearing me, just as my earthly father had always done. Father, oh my Father God, I cried with growing confidence. My voice seemed unusually loud in the large bedroom as I knelt on the rug beside my bed. But suddenly that room wasn't empty anymore. He was there. You see what happens? Intimacy, personal relationship with God as your Father, which comes through the Spirit. It's a massive, massive gift. Okay. Um, now, the, um, the terms Abba Father, Christians calling on God as Abba Father, this bonds Christians together like no one else. When Paul uses those terms, Abba Father, he's describing a, a corporate reality that uh, people who are different in culture, in race, even in religious background, are now united. Abba is a Jewish term, an Aramaic term, actually, um, which the Jews would have used uh, to describe their own father, uh, biological father. Um, the word for father is the Greek word pater, and uh, that's a Greek term. So you've got, uh, by his spirit, we, can, we collectively can call God Abba, father, a Jewish term, a Greek term. By God's Spirit, you see what he's saying? People who are different, Jews, Gentiles, different in race, in previous religion, um, in language, in culture, 
by God's Spirit, those who believe in Jesus, who are led by the Spirit, can call God Father, and we do it together. This is a wonderful thing and a great privilege of being a Christian, and it describes a level of intimacy and fellowship which is second to none in the world. So I can be there with another Christian uh, group of believers or or person, um, totally different to me in race and in culture and in language. And because we believe in Jesus and we both have the same spirit, we can pray to God as Father. And we might be praying in a different language, but I've done this before. And you you catch someone looking at each other in mid-prayer and there's great connection because you know that you both are praying to the one God and you're doing it as brothers and sisters, eternally so. And you, you share that level of intimacy and joy in praying to God together. It's a wonderful, wonderful privilege and connection and a gift that comes from God's spirit. It's the spirit's work to provide us with that deep assurance that God is our father. Have a look at verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, chances are that if you've been a Christian for a while, you will know of someone who once said that they were Christian, but now no longer tragically says that they are. They've walked away. And this might be very destabilising for you. It might rattle you. You'll think, well, they said they were Christian. Who's to say this won't happen with me? And were they genuine back then? Because they seem genuine. The truth is we actually don't know what's really going on in other people's hearts. But that doesn't mean we ourselves can't have assurance because it's the spirit himself, himself, not itself, himself, he's a person, he testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is his work to provide us with that deep, deep assurance that we are God's children and that God is our heavenly father. So can I ask you this question deep down? Do you know that God is your heavenly father? When you sin and you come to him in confession, despite what you've done and the shame that you may feel, deep down, do you know that God is your heavenly father? Or um, if you go through a hard time and we can go through many trials and difficulties, Despite what's happened, come what may, can you come to God in prayer and despite the hard time you've had, do you still know that God is your Father and that He is concerned for you and that He has your back? Do you know God as your Father? The Spirit, His work in our lives is to give us that deep assurance and conviction that God is our Heavenly Father. It's a wonderful, wonderful, assuring reality that the Spirit provides. The final point about the privilege of adoption is that it will get better. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There will be sufferings. The sufferings Christ went through He may be talking about persecutions. Certainly, it can be that for some people. But not all Christians get persecuted. However, 
Uh, the sufferings that Christ did go through, which are common for every one of us, is that ongoing struggle with temptation, that daily battle with the flesh. And uh, if we share in those sufferings, uh, Christ's sufferings, then Paul says the promise is we will also share in his glory. And that is that it will get better. It's going to get so much better. You know, I've never inherited anything, praise God. <laughs> I say praise God because it means the people I love whom I might inherit from, I don't know if I will, but who I might inherit from haven't died. That's good. But suppose one day I do inherit something. Um, I've just turned 50. I know that the time spent I have to enjoy my inheritance, it's limited, isn't it? But if you share in Christ's glory, the time spent isn't limited. And also what you get to enjoy is so much better than even the, the most that you could possibly inherit now. We're talking about a redeemed creation and we're going to hear about that more next week. It's going to be so great, so exciting. We'll enjoy the best of what God has made without any corruption, remade, and we'll enjoy it together with Christ. It's going to be great. Let me finish with two points of application. The first is, if you are sitting listening and you do not know God as your father, I want to tell you that you can. When you put your trust in Jesus, you receive God's spirit. And through God's spirit, you become adopted as God's children. God becomes your heavenly father. Um, this is wonderful. The God whom you may have known as the, the creator, the one who's in charge of everything, the ruler of all things, the judge at the end of time. That God becomes your father. It's a massive privilege. It can happen. He can be loyal to you, personal to you, affectionate. You can have the full assurance that he has your back and that you can come to him with any and every need every single day. It's a massive, massive joy. Secondly, perhaps you do call yourself a Christian, but you're, you're unsure about whether God is your father. Well, let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you prayed? Now, why do I ask that question? Because it's in the context of prayer that Paul says the spirit testifies with us that we are God's children. It's as we call out to God as father that the spirit testifies we are God's children. So when was the last time that you prayed to God as your father? Our prayerlessness doesn't uh, wreck, us, wreck apart our union with Christ, but it will stop our experience of joy and of intimacy and security and assurance. So if you do doubt that God is your father, then here's a pastor's hot tip. Pray. Pray again. Come to God, your Father, and call him that. And open yourself up to him and lay before him your concerns and lay before him how you feel and your deep anxieties and your worries. Tell him what's going on. Ask for his help in your life about what's worrying you. Confess your sins and give thanks that Jesus has died for you. Give thanks that he has risen and that he is your hope. Give thanks for what is to come. Give thanks that he is returning.
And if you do that, see if the Spirit has assured you that God is your Father. I would be surprised if he has not. Pastor's hot tip, pray. Would you pray with me now? Our loving and gracious Father in heaven, it is a massive privilege to be adopted as your children, to be heirs, sons, with Christ. We praise you that by your spirit we can call you Father. We have that intimacy with others, that fellowship, but also with you. We can come before you and lay before you our deepest needs and know that you are there for us. And you are for us. And you are with us. Father in heaven, may this experience, this deep assurance, be true of every person who is now praying. Thank you for the fellowship we enjoy as your children together. We praise you by the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.